Amen. Amen. You know, it's just a great opportunity to be in the Lord's house today. I mean, we serve an awesome God. And um, I'm just delighted to be back with you. Um, I know that uh, I feel like I've traveled a million miles since I've seen you. Um, at least 9,000 on Friday and Thursday. But, um, you know, it's a, a great blessing uh, to live in America. And, um, you know, I, I didn't kneel down and kiss the soil, but I wanted to. And, um, you know, we take a lot for granted. We live in a land of, of abundance. We live in a land of, of so much. And we are very, 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 very rich people. Comparative to the world's standards. And so, um, coming from Africa and the team, I just want to greet you back and, and just say thank you for praying for us. Um, we had uh, a great trip. We had a great opportunity. Uh, we arrived back in Temple uh, Friday evening about 8. Um, you know, uh, we accomplished some amazing things, some goals for God's kingdom. And um, what a blessing it is. Um, our travel went without incident. Um, you know, when we, we talk about traveling all these time zones, um, I kind of feel like I'm out of sorts this morning. So uh, just understand that um, I still, I think I'm in Tanzania time and i um, trying to figure that out. But um, God is good. I want to share just a couple of things with you about that. Um, in Tanzania, uh, God is on the move. Um, he's doing a, a great work there. Um, two or three years ago, we adopted a people group from Tanzania. We adopted the Liguru people as a church. We adopted them that we would pray for them, and they're an unreached people group. And um, they live in the Uluguru Mountains. They're the Liguru people that live in the Uluguru Mountains. And so um, when we adopted them, we knew that there were three churches uh, that are on the, the mountains there. And um, we were praying for those churches and, and we were able to minister to them. Um, we had a two-day conference at one of those churches. And um, we were introduced to five new pastors which means that there's five new churches in those mountains. And we didn't even know that they were there until we had this conference and, and they came and that these new pastors came with their people. And it was an amazing thing because these churches are multiplying. And um, there are now eight churches with pastors among the Liguru people. And um, I'm just going to name these churches. I, I have a list here of these churches. And it's written in the hand of, of uh, Godfrey, who is the pastor at Masalawe. And I ask him to write down the names of the churches. And this is the Mount Uluguru Baptist Churches. There's Niandira Baptist Church. There's Shinsema Baptist Church. There's Masalawe Baptist Church. Kadobo Baptist Church. Mahale Baptist Church, Katangu Baptist Church, 
Lusanga Baptist Church and Bumu Baptist Church. And each one of these churches represents a village of people who are now being introduced to Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, heaven's going to be pretty good. I mean, there was times when we were worshiping with them, and I, I didn't know a single word they were saying, but I knew that they were worshiping the one true living God. And I want to tell you, it's humbling. As you stand there and think of how much we have and how little they have. And what a blessing it is to know that we have the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, God allowed us also in Tanzania to meet a new pastor, a pastor of vision, a pastor in Morogoro who is, um, um, he's actually a, a, a doctor. He's got his doctorate in um, um, molecular biology, and he also teaches science, math, but he is a, um, a pastor there. He works at the university, but he, he pastors in Morogoro, and um, while we were at his church, this is the church that we um, gave the, the motorcycle to the pastor from the mountain, um, Pastor Francis. But he listed 15 other pastors of churches that he knows that are a part of the association that he is in, in and around Morogoro. And so it's an amazing thing to see these churches that are reproducing and planting other churches in this area. They are hungry for the gospel. And, and what, a, what a wonderful thing it is. But his name is Ernest Mbega. And uh, we need to continue to pray for Pastor Ernest as he works with these pastors and, and helps them. Um, we were also able to partner with brothers and sisters from the Freedom Road Biker Church in Harker Heights. And uh, we gave away a brand new motorcycle to one of these pastors that is up in the mountains. And um, he is going to be able to go in between churches uh, much quicker and get to where he needs to go. And you should have seen the joy on his face. When we presented him with this motorcycle, it's like he, he couldn't stop smiling, knowing how much easier his life was going to be. This pastor walks seven miles one way between churches. It takes him two hours and 45 minutes to get from his house to this church. And that's one way. How many of us would walk for nearly three hours to go to church? And we have such convenience. What a blessing it was just to see the joy on his face. About halfway through the trip, we went to Kenya we got on a plane and, 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 and flew to Kenya, and we were able to give money for two water wells to Rogers and Rachel Kahindi. And, and, you know, it was just so, they were so overwhelmed by, by the, the, the love uh, of this congregation. And I know it means so much to them. They were deeply moved by the encouragement uh, to the vision that God has given them to see these water wells uh, dug and put into these villages. Um, we had a two-day uh, conference on experiencing God while we were in Kenya, and um, it, this conference was greatly attended. Um, we were expecting about 25 people to show up for this conference, 
Matter of fact, we were sitting in Roger's and Rachel's living room. And Roger got on his cell phone. Roger's got on his cell phone and he, he called the lady who was going to provide the meal. And she said, well, how many people are you expecting? And he said, I don't know. He said, she said, well, I need a number. I need to figure out uh, how to cook for how many ever you, you need. And he said, well, let's, let's plan on 25. The next morning, 125 people showed up. I mean, we had no clue. We had made like 40 copies of the, of the, the, the stuff we wanted to hand out. And, and uh, uh, we started about 9.30. And, and um, by 10 o'clock, Rogers was on the way to make more copies. And he got 50 more copies of what we were doing. And then, and then he went back and got 30 more copies. And, and I mean, we just had to keep uh, making food and copies. And you know, I want to say God um, you know, multiplied the, the beans and rice, if you will. It wasn't the loaves and fishes, but it was the beans and rice. And it was amazing to see what God did there. In the afternoon, we were able to teach about marriage and what God's Word says about marriage. And um, I I hope that you will be praying for Kenya. Um, Just recently, uh, their government um, um, approved a law that makes uh, polygamy okay there. And um, so it's something that is uh, distressing the church in Kenya, um, because now you've got uh, uh, people that the government is actively promoting uh, polygamy there as well. So um, be praying for them. Uh, you know, God is on the move in Central East Africa. The church there is being encouraged. Um, and I want to just thank you, church family, for sending us out and allowing us to go and be involved as we make disciples of all the nations. Is what a joy it's going to be as we stand before the throne of God. Amen. And we recognize that we have brothers and sisters from every nation and every tribe. Praising Him for all eternity. I mean, what, a, what a blessing it is. So thank you. Thank you so much for allowing us to do that. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for those who have uh, stepped up and, and taken care of things uh, while we were gone. And uh, what a blessing it is to know that our church is in good hands. And what a wonderful staff that we have. Um, So thank you for that. This morning I want to um, uh, be coming out of uh, Matthew chapter 7. As we uh, continue on in our study on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I want to talk this morning about relating to one another. You know, over the past several weeks, we have been talking about and preaching through uh, the, our Lord's matchless Sermon on the Mount. I mean, there's never been a sermon that was preached like this sermon, because there's never been a preacher on earth like Jesus. I mean, he, he had the Word of God, and, and, and it, was, it, was, it was a wonderful thing, and no one else knows so thoroughly as Jesus does. He knows us inside and out, and and, and there's no other sermon that is so searching in our hearts than the one that he preached. You know, as the Bible teacher has once said, this sermon finds us all somehow, somewhere. There's no possibility of escape. It searches us out in our hiding places and it brings out into the light, brings us out into the light of God. So as we read his words, recognize that God is speaking to you today. He's speaking to me today. He's speaking to us. See, I've certainly found this this sermon to be so um, 
searching of my own heart. And I know that as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it spoke to me in many ways. And, and I just can't explain how, how thankful I am for Jesus delivering this sermon. And this morning we come to a very applicable part of this Sermon on the Mount, of this passage. And I, I believe that this scripture that we're going to talk about this morning is probably the most misquoted, misapplied, misinterpreted, almost more than any other verse in the Bible. And you might say that it's the favorite passage of Scripture among unbelieving people in the world today. And this is especially true these days when so many people want to justify their own sin. And they don't want to be accountable. They want to insulate themselves from any accountability for their behavior. And so they want to use and twist this scripture to justify their own sin. See, many people like to quote this passage in order to protect themselves from criticism. But they terribly misuse it when they do so. Read with me in Matthew chapter 7. I want to read down through verse 6. And God's word says this. It says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces." Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I ask, Father, that even now that you would just reveal yourself to us through your word. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for what you accomplished for us on the cross. And truly, you and you alone are worthy of our praise. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would examine our hearts. That you would fill us and show us and guide us into all truth. Father, I pray that a great repentance would come upon your church. I pray, Father, that you would show us the truth of where we are. And Father, that we would come clean with you, knowing that you love us so very much. Father, I lift up those today who in our midst are grieving. Father, our brothers and sisters who are mourning. I pray, Father, for those who are persecuted for your name's sake. I pray, Father, that you would be with them, especially in the hour of persecution. And, Father, that you would not allow them to shrink back, but, Father, that you would allow them to stand firm. Father, I pray that for us as well in our hour of persecution. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for guiding us. I pray that you would be blessed this morning, Father. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, I would submit to you this morning that, uh, that not everyone is easy to live with. 
And I'm not making any inferences on the company that I went to Africa with. Um, I just want, I'm making a general statement here. Not everyone is easy to live with. I mean, if any of you have children, if any of you have been married, if any of you have ever had a roommate, if any of you ever had brothers or sisters, not everyone is easy to live with. I mean, if anyone would know about living with difficult people, I would say it would probably have to be Jesus. I mean, think about this. When you're perfect. Let's face it, living with anyone else would be difficult. So as you might imagine, Jesus had something to say about those people he found difficult to live with. And Jesus knew that his followers had to live with one another. We need to hear this. Because we live with one another. So in the last section of his Sermon on the Mount, he he dealt with how his disciples should treat one another. See, people in God's kingdom should avoid judging one another and seeing each other's faults while neglecting their own. So Jesus, in this passage, he, he prohibited destructive criticism. And he simply said it this way. He said, do not judge. Do not judge. And his statement refers to destructive words. Oh, destructive words. You know, the tongue can cut so quickly. We can say things so quickly that we don't mean, that, 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 that we just throw it out there and, and, and we can never take it back. It's out there and we've said it and we've done the damage. Jesus says, don't judge. And here's the problem, is we cannot judge because we are not intellectually qualified. What I mean by that is no one has all the facts. We're so quick to sit back and say, well, this person or that person needs to do such and such. Or or we judge them and their behavior, but we don't know all the facts. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know what God has delivered them from. We don't know all of the issues that are going on internally and externally with anyone. Much less their motives. Oh, but we're quick to judge. Oh, we're quick to throw them under the bus. You see, we cannot judge because we're not intellectually qualified. But we cannot judge also because we are imperfect Jesus says, don't judge. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. See, no believer is without sin. We're not like Jesus. We're not perfect. We've been redeemed by him and our sins have been forgiven. But we're not without sin. So only God is qualified to judge So what what is Jesus really talking about here? I mean, the word judge means to criticize or to condemn or to censor. It's that old fault-finding attitude. It's being picky, being critical, 
It's the habit of carping criticism. It, it is a mean, critical spirit that sees only the bad in others. I would never do that. Why are they doing that? We don't know. I'm sure there's reasons why each one of us do many things that we do. I don't know all the reasons. I'm not the judge. You see, Jesus is talking about looking at people and attempting to judge their motives and their real spiritual condition based on what we see in their lives. We couldn't be more wrong because we don't know their heart. We've not walked in their footsteps. We've not walked in their shoes. We don't know where they've been. But you see, the idea here is that the judge presumes to know the condition of someone else's heart. We don't know that. But we can be so very, very critical of our own brothers and sisters in Christ. See, we set ourselves up as judge and jury and we proclaim guilt and innocence on all of those around us. You see, this is the attitude that Jesus is condemning. He's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, the old poem puts it this way. There's so much good in the worst of us and there's so much bad in the best of us that it hardly behooves any of us to talk about the rest of us. I like that. Because it means that we shouldn't judge one another. See, refusing to confront a person about his or her sin is just as wrong as a doctor refusing to confront a patient about their sickness. I mean, if you want to understand what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1... You have to put it right beside what he said in John chapter 7, verse 24. He said, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now that verse says it all. Don't judge by what you see, but judge by righteous judgment. Now that says, you know, you can't judge a tree by its leaves but you can judge a tree by its fruit you may not be able to judge a book by its cover but you can definitely judge a book by its content because it's written there in black and white you can see it you know exactly what it's saying and conveying you cannot judge that book by its cover but you see, the key here is the appearance, that we judge not by appearances. Something that James wrote that teaches us about what it means to judge not, unfortunately, it speaks of one of our favorite pastimes in James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. He writes this, he says, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you 
who judge your neighbor. You know, I saw a button once. It said, if you can't say something nice about someone, then sit next to me so I can hear you better. I mean, we're all guilty of that sort of judgmentalism, aren't we? Where we want in on it. We want to we hear it. We wanna, we, we're very judgmental towards one another. And that is a word that is, is very um, a buzzword in our, our, our culture. In our society. Nobody wants to judge anyone. No one wants to be judgmental. If, if you stand against sin. If you stand against. If you stand for anything. Then you are accused of being judgmental. It's indicative of where we are as a society. But understand that Jesus' command. Is a call to stop gossiping about one another. To stop slandering one another. We're not to hold someone's faults up to others for their review and their critique and to evaluate one another accordingly. But look how this hypocrisy, okay, this hypocrisy in us manifests itself. Jesus said this in verse 3. He said, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? I mean, that's kind of a ridiculous picture, isn't it? I mean, when we think about it, imagine trying to help someone with a speck of sawdust in their eye. And you're trying to help them pull the sawdust out of their eye and you have a two-by-four sticking out of your own eye. You can't even reach that person because the two-by-four is in the way. This is the picture that Jesus is painting for us. That you're trying to help this person to identify a problem, but your own problem is way more glaring than theirs. I mean, someone who is presuming to judge someone else may feel like they are qualified to help. But the fact is, whatever fault they are seeking to help their brother with is very minor compared to what's going on in their own life. And I want to say it may be that greater sin of judgmentalism, of judging them. The great preacher Thomas Scott, he once wrote, In spiritual optics... A beam in the eye generally renders a man quick-sighted in discerning other men's faults and blind only to his own. I mean, what hypocrisy, what pretending? We pretend that we don't have the two-by-four in our own eye. And we're going around picking out sawdust out of other people's eyes. We're pretending that it's not there. We're how two-faced of us to say that a brother and sister in Christ and yet we judge them when we don't know all the facts. When we're not perfect ourselves. How insincere as we think about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus, you've done it all for me. Man, can you believe that guy did that? Can you believe how he acts? Wait a minute. How two-faced. 
How pretending we are that everything is perfect with us. And yet, we're wanting to find fault with a brother or sister in Christ. But notice, Jesus encouraged self-criticism. Jesus used a simple illustration here, the speck and the log, and he encouraged self-examination rather than the examination of others. If you want to judge someone, then look inside. Stop worrying about your brother or sister and worry about yourself. That's really what he's saying here. Often while looking at a small speck, we fail to see our own problem. But Jesus shared how people can make a constant pursuit of looking for faults in other people. I mean, some people constantly observe the little faults of others. We just can't wait to, to share that with someone else, can we? We feel like somehow we've, we're better than they are. See, I believe that's one of the reasons why we do that, is we want to feel better about ourselves. And so if we can diminish a brother or sister in Christ in front of someone else, then somehow we feel like it makes us look better. But really it doesn't. We diminish ourselves when we do that. You know, Jesus, he also shared how we can be blind to our own faults. And generally, when people spend excessive time criticizing others, they're blind to the glaring problems in their own life. And if we listen to Jesus, if we listen to what he's saying, it means that we become aware of the faults in our own lives. Brothers and sisters, I know that there's enough darkness in this heart right here. To keep me busy for quite some time. And when I get all of the darkness in my own heart taken care of. Y'all aren't going to be my problem. This is my problem. I am so thankful that God gives us brothers and sisters. To walk the journey in, in this life. I'm thankful that we have people whom we can call when the chips are down, when we're, when we're hurt, when we're, when we're hurting and, and mourning and, 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 and need comforting. And we have brothers and sisters who can come to our side and aid us and encourage us. See, Jesus shared how we can be blind because many people spend excessive time criticizing others. And we need, to, we need to be aware of our own faults. And he allowed for, Jesus allowed for reasonable criticism. He spoke strange words about not giving holy things to dogs and casting pearls before swine in verse 6. This indicated that Christians should discriminate between people and discern character. See, you're not supposed to say the word discriminate or discrimination today. It's not politically correct. Well, I agree that we should not discriminate between races and people. I do believe that we need to have a discernment about other people's character. Because if you hang out with the wrong people, they are going to lead you in the wrong direction. We need to be able to see and to discriminate and to discern the character of those whom we hang out with. Those who have influence on us. 
Those who guide and help us and become who we are, we need to make sure that those are people of godly character. We need to be able to discriminate between people and discern character. And when Jesus spoke of dogs and swine, and he, he referred to unholy people. Those who may not be open to the gospel. Those who despise the gospel. By exercising reasonable criticism or discrimination, we can learn to discern those who are closed to the gospel and those who are open to the gospel. See, living together in the church seems sometimes difficult. Because we love one another, but we're kind of like porcupines on a cold night. How do we get close to each other without needling each other? Because really, we love each other and we, we choose to be a part of his kingdom and his family. And at times, Christians should avoid destructive criticisms. But pretty, periodically, believers should also employ self-criticism. I need to look critically at my heart. And see what I'm doing and where I'm at. And by the Holy Spirit's leadership, we should be able to discern those around us who are open to the gospel and those who are not open to the gospel. Now don't misunderstand this. Don't take it to mean that we should never help a, a brother or sister who is struggling with the problem of sin in their lives. But understand this. We should present ourselves first. To the Lord. We should present ourselves to God for His examination and ask Him to reveal the truth to ourselves about us. We need to ask Him to help us see where we have a larger problem of sin than maybe the speck we're trying to help our brother or sister to overcome. You know, when a new pastor or staff member comes to our church, there's two kinds of responses. I mean, some will look to discover what's wrong with them. And others will look to discover how God has gifted them and what they contribute to our body. You know, when a new person walks through the door of our church, you focus, some people focus on what's wrong with them or we can focus on what's right with them. And why God is bringing them and planting them in our body. What wonderful opportunities they, they may bring with them. You know, when we implement a ministry or a change in our ministry, there are a couple of ways to respond. Some people want to pick apart and, and see what's wrong with that, with that ministry. And other people may, may look at it and they're excited to discover the benefits and opportunities that, 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 that this change offers us. At this point, this juncture in our lives. I mean, it depends on how we view things. Whether the glass is half empty or it's half full. But we all make those kind of judgments. Not recognizing that our own glass may be totally empty. Bereft of anything spiritual in it. See, people who tend to find fault often act like they've helped everybody 
by un- uncovering what is at fault. You know, the, the faulty program, the faulty person, the faulty pastor, the faulty plan. Well, look what I've uncovered. There's problems all with this. But you know what the truth is? You can always find fault with every plan, with every person, with every method, with every program, with every pastor. You can find fault. But if finding out what's wrong is the focus of your approach, then you cheat yourself and everyone else out of the opportunity to learn and grow and benefit from what God has brought into your life. Are you one that always tends to search for what's wrong with it? If you are, then I just want to say, stop it. Stop judging. Start living. Start being in the midst of looking and seeing what God is bringing to us opportunity-wise. It may be a wonderful thing. But we've never done it like that, Pastor. I know. God is doing a new thing in this day, in this place, among his people. I mean, thank God for people who can see potential pitfalls in a plan. I mean, we need that. We need to to be able to, to, to keep a train wreck from happening. We need to be able to be steered in the right direction. We need to see things from all angles. And discernment is a helpful skill and can make a positive contribution. Good judgment is a valuable quality. But some people miss the distinction between discernment and condemnation. And they elevate fault finding to the ministry level. (laughs) Oh, my ministry is fault finding. Really? That's not good. We need to be looking for the positive. We need to be checking it out and seeing how we can work together in what God is doing. See, it's very legitimate to ask a question like this. Can we do this? Should we do this? Is this where God is leading us? What problems need to be solved in order to do it? But all that is different than searching for faults and focusing on weaknesses. Intentionally championing problems instead of solutions. But you see, this gift of discernment, when we have that, it's good judgment. The other is the curse of condemnation. Judging things just to be finding fault. Folks, we can be some of the most critical people on earth. Because we think we know how everything should operate all the time. And sometimes it's not our fault. Sometimes it's not what's going on. It may be something that God is doing to lead us in a new direction. Can we not embrace what God is doing? Folks, I want to go with God. I want to go with where I see God at work. I want to continue moving forward with Him. 
Because if he's not in it, I don't want to be a part of it. Because everything in my life that has been good, everything in my life that has, has, has been a blessing to me, has been because of God being involved with it. And the rest of it has just been empty because God was not in it. See, I'm sure that you have heard this scripture quoted many times by those who have been confronted concerning a sinful or questionable behavior. And people somehow assume that the, the Christian has no right to evaluate the behavior of our society because their minds have been forbidden to judge. They use this scripture against us to say, judge not lest you be judged. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying don't be judgmental just to be critical. If there is a problem, get right with God first. Our society says, how dare you judge me? Does your own Lord not teach you that you are not to judge others? But you see, if a pastor or a Christian takes any kind of stand against sin, particularly in a public rebuke, then we're accused of being judgmental. Even though God's word condemns it. Folks, I'm going to stand on God's word. I'm going to preach God's word. I want to live by God's word. I don't care what our society says. Our society is messed up. It's come off the rails. It's no longer pleasing to God. And the things that they are embracing as saying this is good is not good. The things that they are saying are not evil are evil. And the things that they are saying are good are not good. It's 180 degrees out from where it needs to be. And I make no apology for preaching against sin and standing against sin. And I know this puts a big target on my back. But I want you to know, I don't care. Because I'm going to preach God's word. And I want to do what God is pleased with. I have no way of knowing the spiritual condition of someone else. So I would never declare that an individual could not possibly be saved because of their actions. Because I don't know what their heart is. I don't know where they've been. I don't know what God has done for them. But to say that we are never to evaluate situations... Or actions literally goes against the teaching of Scripture. We're not the final judge of human souls. But we're not called to walk through life with blinders on and never confront or condemn sin. Because many would assume that to be judgmental, they, they would assume that that is being judgmental. But really folks, that is being biblical. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Consider what some other scriptures say in regard to this matter. 1 Thessalonians 5, 
21 says, But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Here the word prove means to test, to examine, to scrutinize, to approve or to deem worthy. It says examine everything carefully and hold on to that which is good. Ephesians 5.11 says have, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them. Examine them. Scrutinize them. The verse I read earlier, John 7, 24. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Notice also further in our chapter in Matthew. Matthew 7, verse 16 and following says this. It says, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but bad, the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every, truth, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, so then you will know them by their fruits. Folks, we must be willing to stand for truth. We must be willing to stand for righteousness. Exposing and confronting sin. Even when we are called judgmental. I guarantee you, I've been called a lot worse than that. And you have too. As we walk this earth, let us understand that we serve the Master and Him alone. So this morning, here's my invitation. As you look at your life, are you guilty of passing judgment on others? Because they don't live, they don't live like you do. Maybe they sin differently than you do. Has the Lord spoken to your heart about it? If He has, then maybe you need to get it right with Him. Maybe you need to remove that two-before out of your eye so you can help your brothers and sisters. Maybe you're here and you're on the other end of that and you've been unjustly judged by others. Have you forgiven the ones who did that to you? We need to. We need to forgive those who unjustly judge us. We all need to receive forgiveness and we all need to give forgiveness. Have you ever come to a place where you have acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? If you have, then we need to live like it. But if you haven't, you need to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. You just need to do that. You need to repent. You need to turn. You need to come to Jesus. If any of these speak anything to you, 
I invite you to come this morning. Maybe just to come and pray. Just to spend some time in prayer with Him. Seeking, letting Him examine your heart. Seeking Him. See, the easy part is for us to hear a sermon and to get up out of here and walk out those doors and live unchanged by the Word of God. The difficult part is to submit ourselves under the microscope of God's Word and say, Lord Jesus, I haven't been everything I need to be for you. But today, I want today to be different. I want to submit myself to you and allow you to cleanse me and transform me from the inside out. Father, I've been judgmental. Father, I've been critical of other believers. I've not done your will. I've not done the things that you gave me to do. Instead, I've just sat back and griped and moaned and complained about a lot of things that happened in my life. And Father, I'm sorry. I repent of that. And today, I want you to transform me and remove that from me. Would you do that this morning? Loving Father, I thank you for this time and I thank you for your word. I ask, Holy Spirit, that in this moments that follow, that you would guide us, that you would lead us into all truth about who we really are. I pray that your, your adversary, our adversary, the enemy, would not have any hold on us this morning. Father, your word says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So, Father, we worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, this morning I ask that your Holy Spirit would just examine our hearts. Father, that you would search our hearts, that you would shine light into the corners of our hearts, and that you would show us where we fall short. Father, show us the sin that so easily trips us up. Father, that we could come clean with you. That we would be your spotless bride. Father, that we would be washed by the power of your word. Cleansed without spot or blemish. Father, I pray this by your power and for your glory. Father, guide us as we continue to seek you. We're going to be very careful to give you the praise and the glory and the honor for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.